You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So here's how the story goes, church. Early in the spring of 1964, some of the residents of Greater Williamsburg, who are also members of a church called the Lebanon Church of Christ, met to discuss the possibility of establishing a new congregation, one that sought to remove the barriers of the denominational divides and the creeds and promote unity in Christ alone and call all people to the gospel of God's kingdom. They were a part of this heritage of believers, this non-denominational movement called the Restoration Movement. It was a movement inspired by the Holy Spirit in the 18th and 19th century. If you ever do any history study or Christian history study or church history study, this movement is called the Second Great Awakening. And during this time in American history, the religious belief of Uh, There were various different religious beliefs, I should say, that were starting to move people away from what was called orthodoxy, just this belief in Christ alone. And this religion called deism was starting to surface. Leaders like John Locke, founding fathers like Thomas Paine, Ethan Allen, Thomas Jefferson, and in the Age of Enlightenment were promoting this religious belief of deism that was starting to take root in the country. And various pastors from different denominations, from the Presbyterian Church, from the Methodist Church, from the Baptist Church, all independent of one another, believed that the church in the United States of America needed to get back to unity in Christ, in Christ alone. And so a movement took place, independent of one another. And it all landed in this small town in Kentucky, called the Cane Ridge Revival in 1801, where a man named Barton W. Stone began to preach off of a stump, and 20,000 people came in attendance. And it was four days of celebration, of communion, of singing, of praying, of preaching. In attendance were people from various denominations. Thousands of people even came to Christ for the first time. And according to many eyewitness testimonies, the Holy Spirit began to do things That was way outside of people's theological boxes. Women were preaching. Men and women and children were prophesying. And a movement of renewal began to take place. One historian, Paul Conklin, said that arguably the Cane Ridge Revival is the most important religious gathering in all of American history. It's been called America's Pentecost. The movement of new churches that came from this revival was a part of what's called the restoration tradition, seeking to restore unity and preaching the gospel of King Jesus as the good news of reconciliation, of bringing together what sin and death has torn apart. And that was the birth of the movement from which Williamsburg Christian Church came in 1964. 163 years later, a small number of men and women wanting to plan an expression of the restoration movement in Williamsburg, began their work. Now, this church, in the beginning, was filled with mostly come-heres, not been-heres, not from-heres. And so in the beginning, this church found itself in the middle of kind of a cultural tug-of-war where there was a higher value to the been-heres and the from-heres rather than the come-heres, and this church was filled with a group of come-heres. Nonetheless, a small group of people, before the church grew, decided to take all that they had and leverage it for the good of the church. 
A small number of families found their buying power of $42,000 to purchase property so there could be a, 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 a signpost, a symbol, a, a place, a space where the people of Williamsburg Christian Church would gather. Now, when I say a small group of people, y'all, I mean a small group of people, just a handful of families. They leveraged their properties, they leveraged their mortgages, they leveraged the things they owned, they leveraged savings accounts so that we could be here 57 years later. The small group of families took $42,000, which in 2021 dollar amount terms would be like a small group of families coming up with $363,478 so we could stand here today, so that we could be here today. The fact of the matter is, we stand on the shoulders of faithful people. We have to know our story. When we know our story, we know where we stand. We know where we come from. And so even though many of you may not even care so much or know so much about the history, the fact is none of us just arrive in some place. We're always standing on the shoulders of others. And so in 1964, this church began to work. And it began to launch the first live nativity in the city. It began to launch an extravaganza. There were many different things that were going out into this church, into the city, and people were participating and coming and taking part, and people were coming to know Jesus. Families were growing in the gospel, people were coming close together, and life was being formed through this church. Now, I've only been here since 2010, and though I'm familiar with the history and the narrative of Williamsburg Christian Church and the beautiful works that God has birthed in this church, I can speak more assuredly of what I've seen happen in the last beginning, going on almost 12 years now. See, what's happened is out of this work of this church and a commitment to the least, the last, the left out, and the lonely, the marginalized people in our community, this church began walking with people out of homelessness. Just this church. And out of that grew a movement within the city tending to people living through social displacement and homelessness. Out of the work of this church grew even a nonprofit, 3E Restoration, that is now a national nonprofit that works to train churches to do what this church was already doing. That's a significant impulse. And what I'm trying to say is if 64 hadn't happened, that wouldn't have happened either. If 1964 would have never taken place, there would be no 3E Restoration Incorporated. See, a few years ago, we got a call from some Kenyans, some pastors that we supported, and there were 200 AIDS orphans who were abandoned and abused, and they were praying prayers to God, asking God to rescue them. And so who knew that thousands of miles away, God would connect this little church to 200 AIDS orphans in a village in Kenya to be the answer to their prayers. And this church, over the course of a year, built a children's village, a children's home, so that these children would no longer be homeless and abused. And now there have been hundreds of children, hundreds of children come through the home. Not only that, there are teachers that are supported through the work of this church who teach all the children in that village. There's a church that's been planted because of that work 
in that village. When I visited that village and I saw an elder in that village, the, vi the elder said to me, I do not know much about your Jesus, but this I know, God has visited this village. And the gospel has gone out. That's just two examples. I'm going to talk about all the other national examples, all the other global examples. There has been many good things. There have been many good things that have taken place because of what God began in this church in 1964. And so when we come and we celebrate 57 years, when we come together any given Sunday and we celebrate life in the kingdom of God together, we remember that we stand on the shoulders of men and women who've come before, who had a vision that one day God would work through this little church called Williamsburg Christian Church to bring the gospel to the city of Williamsburg, but also to the world. And God has been very faithful to let us participate in that. And so if you're new to this church, I've just given just a small, just a tiny, tiny sliver of what God has done in this church just within the last 12 years, much less within the last 57. What I hope that we remember is that we are a part of something beautiful to be a part of this church. We are a part of a community of witnesses to the reign of Christ and the love of God. And that's what we celebrate today. We celebrate today that we are on the timeline of God's purposes and we each have a role to play in the purposes of God. Just like the mothers and fathers of faith who went before us. Hey, if you, um, if you have your Bible, 2 Kings 7, I want to tell you my favorite story this morning. I want to tell you my favorite story and then tie it together for us as a church. All right, everybody good? Come on now, y'all good? All right, all right, here we go. All right, so what do honeybees make? Yes, not peanut butter, right? What do silkworms make? Silk. Honeybees make honey. Silkworms make silk. Human beings, we make a lot of things. But one of the things human beings make that we oftentimes don't think about is that we make futures. Everybody say futures. We make futures. So we don't think about that. But that's the reality of who we are. We join God in creating the future. We play a role in, what doesn't, in bringing what doesn't exist into existence. We join God in creating futures. Everybody say, join God. That's what Christians do. We join God in creating futures. And this is important. Because we can leave here today determined to either let the future happen to us, or we can play a role in creating the future we live into. Are you with me? All right, here's what I'm saying. Sorry, John, do I need to stay in one place? All right. No, that's, I can't do that. So here's one of my favorite Bible stories. All right, 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 to 11. Okay, I want to read it and kind of tell it. Four men with a skin disease were at the entrance of a gate, and they said to each other, why do we just sit here until we die? Why, 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 just, why just sit here until we die? If we, if we stay and go into the city, we're going to die in the city because there's a famine in the city. But if we sit here in this spot, we're going to die. So they're in a catch-22. There's a war going on. They're sitting at the city gates. They're four people with leprosy, so they're on the outskirts of a city. They're marginalized from the life of society. And they say, well, if we sit here... <coughs> We're going to die. 
But if we go into the city, we're going to die. My mama used to call that a rock between uh, being stuck between a what? A rock and a hard place. So then they say, if you look at the text, let's go to the Aramean camp. Let's, well, let's go to the Aramean camp. When we, maybe we go there. Maybe they'll let us live. But there's also a good chance that if we go to the Aramean camp, which is the enemy camp, we may die. So here it is. Here are their options. Stay, you die. Go to the city, you die. Go to the camp, you could die. Either way, not a good outcome. And so here's what happens. Verse 5. So the diseased men got up at twilight to go to the Aramean camp. And when they came to the camp's edge, they discovered... There was not a single man there. Verse 6, listen. For the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of chariots, horses, and a great army. The Arameans said to each other, the king of Israel must have hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they gotten up and they fled at the twilight, abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys. The camp was intact because they had fled for their lives. And when these men came to the edge of the camp, no one was there, so they did what? They went in and had a party. Now, that's, that's impressive. So here's the story. Leprosy, marginalized, not a part of society. They stay there, they're going to die. They go into the city where a famine is, they're going to die. So then they think about going to the enemy camp in the hopes that they'll get mercy. But while they're walking to the enemy camp, what does the scripture say the Lord did? The Lord had some purpose that God was working out. So while they marched, into the camp, the Lord calls sounds of chariots and horses and an army. And then they got to the camp, and it was like a steak dinner. All you could eat buffet. Everything they needed was there. And if you read the rest of the story, they, they party it up until one of them gets a conscience and says, this ain't right. We're going to have to go tell the king, like our king, that the camp's empty, that the enemy is gone. And you know how the story goes. They run out, and they tell the king, and then the story continues to unfold. You know what I love about this story? Is that these lepers had a choice. If we just sit and resign ourselves to our situation as we see it, we'll die. And even though the options of going somewhere else may mean we will die, it's a risk we have to take. See, many of us find ourselves in difficult stories like this, like these lepers were stuck between a rock and a hard place in the scriptures over and over again. If you read the scriptures over and over again, the people of God are always stuck between a rock and a hard place. Moses was an exile and a murderer. Joseph was a prisoner and a slave. Daniel was a captive and a slave. Ruth was a refugee. Esther was a, was a sex slave taken by a foreign king as a wife. Ananias in the New Testament was a regular disciple of Jesus living in Damascus, who God asked to welcome a terrorist into his life. These are people who are struck between a rock and a hard place, but in every one of these stories, they each have a choice. They could choose between letting the future happen, just take it as it comes. They could choose safety or comfort and do nothing and remain as they are, right where they were. Or they could choose to make a future happen, trusting that God is faithful 
trusting that God was at work in the world and trusting that they could take a step forward. The unknown to the lepers who were just trying to live, they were playing a role in God's purposes that resulted in the change of a nation. That resulted in the change of a nation. Four outcast lepers with a choice to make. Let the future happen or do something and hope that a different future happens. Yeah, I'm going to guess that our challenges aren't as difficult as these four lepers or as Moses or Joseph or Daniel or Ruth or Esther, Ananias. If God can take stories like these and work them into stories of victory, how much can he do with ours? The question is, will we believe God? Will we believe that God has given us natural gifts or talents to develop in the skills that can carry us into the future and by God's grace through challenges and difficulties? Will we believe that God has brought together just the right people in my life and in this church to lean into the reign of Jesus and follow the Spirit's leading and faithfully join God in God's mission and mission in this city. See, that whole Tarakwa story was very similar to this in some ways. Francis B., a Kenyan pastor, had come just to visit us. And he had taken this proposal for a children's village to spare the lives of these 200 children to a whole host of other churches that were planning on listening to him, but none of them chose to do anything. And that's okay, not judging them, because it wasn't their choice to make in that sense. See, when Francis was meeting with me and the staff and began to just kind of tell us about the story, began to just tell us the story, he wasn't even trying to pitch it, he was just telling us the story, our hearts broke. And so we went to the elders, and we had Francis tell the elders the story. And the elders' hearts broke. Our church had been $300,000 in debt, but our hearts were breaking. And so we had a choice to make. Remember that, Hoyt? Remember we had a choice to make. We live in debt, and we just kind of muzzle through it and kind of slodge through it and just hope we can do something. Or we do something courageous, and we decide we're going to call this church to get rid of the debt, not so we can build a bigger building. I mean, look at our canopies. I mean, they're nice. But they're not like, you know, they're canopies, right? Like, by the way, big props to Hoyt and Danny and Aaron and Randy for putting these things up, y'all. Because they break safe. They're pretty. They're pretty. But they're not like the Hyatt, you know what I'm saying? Like... We still have a urinal in the men's bathroom that doesn't work right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we, it's not like we put the money into these things. But what happened was God wanted to remove the debt so God could use us to, to be a part of saving the life of children. Sorry, John. Sorry. To be a part of saving the life of 200 children living through abuse in a village thousands of miles away. Come on now. Y'all with me? And that's the story. That's how God works. God is up to something, and you're invited in it. But it starts with making a choice. You either choose to look at your situation and all the circumstances that outline your situation, your finances, your relationship statuses, all the different things, and you and I decide we're either just going to wait it out, we're going to ride the wave, we're going to let the future happen, or we're going to get up. Everybody say, get up. We're going to trust that God is out at work ahead of us, and just step out and trust. 
Just, just do what's on our hearts. Everybody say, do what's on the heart. The heart that is filled by the Holy Spirit. To do what's on the heart that is filled by the Holy Spirit. To seek counsel from brothers and sisters in Christ. And then say, I'm not going to let the future happen. I'm going to create a future. And I'm going to trust that God is in the future. Already working for the good of his purposes. And I have a role to play. And if I have a role to play. Listen to me. If I have a role to play in the purposes of God then what God is working for the good of God's glory, God is going to work for my good too. Are you with me? There we go. The lepers, the lepers, they just benefited from it. This story, what I love about this story, y'all, is that it's not even about the lepers. But the writer of Scripture wants us to know, wants us to know that when we're faithful and we're stuck between the rock and the hard place and we just decide we're going to take the risk, we're going to not choose comfort, we're going to choose courage. Say this with me. Today I choose courage over comfort. And I'm going to trust that God is at work out ahead of me. That God is at work in between all of us here as brothers and sisters who come to the table. That God is at work. And instead of choosing comfort, I'm going to choose courage. Because when you follow Jesus, you can't have both. You can choose either comfort or courage. But if you're going to follow Jesus, I'm not sure you can have both. And I got to say, sometimes the options look pretty dire. We sit here, we'll die. We go into the city where the famine is, we'll die. We go into the enemy camp, there's a really good chance we'll die. But if we live, we live. At least we got a fighting chance. Maybe that's the story. Maybe we choose the fighting chance rather than the comfort chance. Maybe we choose the fighting chance because we know that God is fighting fight. What you got in your life you just want to give up on? What do you have in your life that requires you to choose the fighting chance? Can you trust that even in the fight, that God is fighting the fight, not just with you, but for you, and not just for you, but out ahead of you. Trusting that what God has started in you, God will bring to completion. Yeah, I can choose comfort or courage, but I can't always choose both. Not if I'm going to follow Jesus. In church, the same is true for us as a church. We as a church can choose comfort or courage, but we can't have both, not if we're going to follow. We can't settle for comfort when our souls are restless for courage. And we can't allow our view of God to be so puny, to be so small, that somehow what God is interested in is preserving the status quo for our comfort. When God is beautifully at work, uprooting the reign of sin and death and all the systems that are forming and formed by it that break the lives of people and sometimes our own lives. See, here's the problem. Sometimes the problem is that we'll allow ourselves a loophole. Everybody say loophole. 
In other words, we'll keep our eyes on the exit sign when we start walking forward. You ever done that? You ever go into a room and the first thing you look for is the exit sign? You ever make a decision and the first thing you do before you make the decision is you got to have a way out? See, that allows us for a loophole. I want you to realize in this story of the lepers, there was no way out. There was just a chance that, that maybe we won't die and get something to eat. When we step out in faith and follow Jesus, we have to do everything we can to resist looking for the loophole, to resist looking for the exit sign, to resist trying to create the exit strategy before we've even begun the journey. Do you trust that God is at work out ahead of your life, doing for you what God longs to do not just so you can drive a nice vehicle and live in a nice house and eat good food. Even the lepers came to a realization that this wasn't what the thing was about. It's about the purposes of God. So that then when you come together in a family of God, you have the resource and the time and the capacity and the emotion to step out in faith with the people of God to do the hard things that God has called us to do. The things that was never on our radar in the first place. I tell people all the time that I'm a walking accident. Everything I've ever stumbled into in my life that's been beautiful has been an accidental stumbling. I mean, my mom and dad wasn't even planning for me. And so everything that I did, everything that I walked in in my life has always been stumbling into something beautiful. People think that when you're a part of something big that you had intentions to do it, but the fact of the matter is <laughs> I'm so messed up that I'm just not that smart. I just, you just have to decide you're just going to walk out and trust God with the consequences. So everybody say, I'm going to walk forward and trust God with the consequences. Today we have to choose comfort. We have to choose courage over comfort. And as a church, on this 57th anniversary, over the next year, over the next two years, church, we're going to have to choose. And it's going to either be comfort and stay the same, Keep everything manageable where I can know everybody by name, where everybody can look more like me, vote like me, think like me, talk like me. Or we're going to have to trust God to create something beautiful. We're either going to let the future happen and just keep coming on Sundays, or we're going to create a future and start following Jesus together Monday through Saturday. What's it going to be? Because I didn't sign up for a once-a-week relationship with some of y'all. Well, <laughs> Some of y'all like, well, we didn't either, Fred. We are in this together. And as a church, we can't let the future happen. We have to create the future. We have to trust that God is at work in the world, right out ahead of us, in the places that we will go, in the people that we will meet, in the activities we will do, that God is there at work and on the move, inviting us to take courage. Maybe take a risk and join God in making a different kind of future happen for us, for our city, and maybe even just for the world. I told you how when I was walking the roads, the dirt streets of Taraqua, and I met that elderly man who was escorting his cow back to his pen, and he said in Kiswahili to Josphat, who was with me, I do not know much about your Jesus. 
but I can look at the village and know that God has visited Tarakta. That's God creating a future. Two water wells have been drilled. Schools have been changed. Church has been planted. That's just one story, y'all. That's just one story. We could take all day telling the stories of redemption that God has worked through this church. And you know what it's going to take for God to work new stories of redemption through this church? Everybody raise your hand. All of us. Every single person here today has a role to play in the purposes of God. Even in the work of this But before you can play the role that God has called you to play in the community of God's people, you have to decide. Will I let the future happen? Or will I join God in creating one? See, if we let the future happen rather than join God in making one happen, we will not be able to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We will just love the ones we like. If we let the future happen rather than joining God and making one happen, we will not be able to treat others as we would be treated. We will just treat others how we want. If we let the future happen rather than joining God and making one happen, we will not be able to forgive those who have wronged us. We'll just avoid it. If we let the future happen rather than joining God and making one happen, we will not be able to do what's right, to stand up in the face of evil and injustice or to stand with the marginalized. Instead, we will default back to our comfortable ideologies our willful blindness, or at worst, our denial. We let the future happen rather than joining God and making one happen. We will not be able to charge the darkness with the light of love because we're too busy retreating the bunkers of comfort and safety. Beloved, show me a person who wakes up committed to the idea that God is at work in their life and the places and the people they'll encounter each day, and is willing to take courageous risks, and I will show you a person who knows how big God is. And that can be you and me. Whether we know it or not, each day and every day, we're faced with a question. Will we let the future happen today? Or will I choose the one that requires courage? Will I choose the option that's going to require courage? So that I have to trust on God to provide. That's the difference. Choosing to create a future is going to require you to choose a future that requires courage. That requires you to trust God to provide. And it's as practical as your jobs, as your family systems, how you raise your children, how you love your partners, that's how you love your neighbor. It's as practical as how you love the brothers and sisters in this church. Let's choose a future that leads us to look for God to move, that leads us to look for God to provide. Church, to use that Tarakwa story just again, when we said yes, Raising the $105,000 as a church so that those children could have a home. So that there could be something beautiful happening. 
we were choosing a future that was going to require God provide. Because in and of our own selves and in and of our own bank accounts, we did not have it. We had to trust God to provide it. And when we said to those kids that that's what we were going to do, they were counting on God to do it. And God is not going to fail. We won't either. 57 years at WCC. And I know that it's customary to say that I think God is just getting started. God got started long before 1964. God got started in 1964 and every year after. But what God's going to do next is going to require all of us to have the courage to trust God to do what God has promised God will do. But each one of us are going to have a choice to make. Comfort, courage. Let the future happen. Join God making one. Let's choose joining God making one. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.